you have your copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to open up to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 11. And our text this morning will be Nehemiah chapters 11 and 12. We'll begin in chapter 11, verse 1, and then we'll read through the first few verses and jump over to chapter 12 and pick up in verse 27, and then we'll come back and fill in fill in the highlight or highlight the details of, of the text from verse 3 through verse 27, verse 3 of chapter 11 through verse 27 of chapter 12. But before we read, let us pray. Our Father, as we come before you, Lord, we come with expectant hearts, asking God that you would Teach us and and instruct us by your word. We pray, Father, that you would make known to us the truth of your word so that you would transform our hearts and our minds and lead us to love you more, Father. We pray that as we encounter your word this morning, you would give give us reasonably sound minds and to understand your word to uh, by your spirit, Lord, we ask that you would illumine our minds and And give us hearts that love your word so that we might live it out faithfully. Lord, we ask that you would strengthen us and give us endurance as we sit under your word so that we might hear what you would have for us to hear. And now, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, as Dr. David said earlier, the theme of the text this morning is rejoice in God's faithfulness. And if you're looking for <clears throat> the text, and you can find it in the chairback Bibles, you might see on the screen the page number is page 406 in the chairback Bible. Uh, but the title of the message this morning is God's Great Work. And I think what we see in this passage is we see God's great work on display. God has been doing a great work in the life of the people of Israel. And in Nehemiah's day, he's been doing the great work specifically of rebuilding the wall and rebuilding the community of faith. And so the theme this morning, rejoice in God's faithfulness. And and I, I want to submit to you this morning that what we'll see in this text is ordinary people serving an extraordinary God discover great joy in living for him. Ordinary people serving an extraordinary God discover great joy in living for Him. This morning, I want us to see that God's great work in the world isn't building walls, but God's great work in the world is building His church. And I think we'll see it as we walk through the text. We see God's faithfulness to His people as they repopulate the city of Jerusalem and then as they dedicate the wall and celebrate that dedication, celebrate what it means for them to be dedicating this wall. But before we go any further, if you found your place in Nehemiah chapter 11, would you say amen? And follow along as I read. <clears throat> now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. And the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Now, beginning in verse 3, there's a list of who all these people are. 
the different tribes, the different people who are going to live in the city. And that runs all the way through chapter 12, verse 26. And so we have in verses 1 and 2 the intro that they are repopulating the city. And then jumping forward to chapter 12, verse 27, we read at the dedication of the wall. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netophathites. Also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and from Asmaveth, for the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate, and after them went Hoshaiah, the son, uh, Hoshaiah and half the leaders of Judah, and Azariah, Ezra, Ezra Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and certain of the priests of the sons with trumpets, Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, the son of Mataniah, son of Micaiah, the son of Zechur, son of Asaph, and his relatives, Shemaiah, Azareel, Malali, Galali, Maai, Nathaniel, Judah, and Hanani, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God, and Ezra, the scribe, went before them. Verse 37, at the fountain gate, they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David at the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half the people on the wall above the tower of ovens to the broad wall and above the gate of Ephraim and by the gate of Yeshana, and by the fish gate, and the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred, to the sheep gate, and they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood at the house of God, and I and half the officials with me. So let's pause just for a moment. So here's what's happening. They've gathered in the city to celebrate and dedicate the wall. And they've split up into two choirs, and they're walking now around the city, and they come to the place at the temple. They're walking on the wall around the city, singing, praising, having music with harps and lyres and cymbals, and they get now to the temple, and they're in the temple, or they're at the temple, and these choirs are are meeting together, and they're singing to God. Verse 41. And the priest Eliakim, Maaseah, Miniamin, Micaiah, Eloani, Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets, and Maaseah, Shemaiah, Elatzer, Utsi, Johananan, Malkijah, Elam, and Ezer, and the singers sang with, Jer- with Jezariah as their leader. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Verse 44, on that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, the tithes, to gather them into the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. 
And they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers. And they set apart that which was for the Levites, and the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. As we come to this text, there's not a lot of glitz and glamour in this passage. There's not a lot of um, points that maybe stand out to us. But, but I think what we see in this text, we, we see God's faithfulness to his people. And I want to highlight that for us this morning. First, we see God's great work involves ordinary people. God's great work involves ordinary people. We see this in verses 1 and 2 specifically. They were willing to lay down their lives for the kingdom of God, for service to God's kingdom. Notice in verse 1, in verse 1 we're told that the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. But the rest of the people, they, they lived surrounding in the communities outside of Jerusalem, outside of the holy city. And so we see in verse 1 that they're casting lots. And casting lots was a a practice that they would engage in so that they can discern God's providential leading in their lives. So it it wasn't them just saying, this is karma that I would end up living in the city of Jerusalem. Or it's not just bad faith that they would live in the city of Jerusalem. They were casting lots to determine who it was that would live in the city of Jerusalem. My first question, though, as I read that, is Why didn't people want to live in the city of Jerusalem? Why didn't they want to live in the holy city? Why were they so standoffish and not wanting to go into the holy city? It was the place where God was at work. He had been at work, yet we can't find anybody and all the people in the surrounding areas that want to give up their time and, and want to go and move and live in that city. And so as Nehemiah had led the people in rebuilding the wall and reestablishing temple worship. Now it comes time for them to repopulate the city and no one wants to go. In fact, nine out of ten people didn't want to go. Casting lots in one sense, it was like who got the short straw that would have to go in and live in the city. The text says in verse 2 that the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. All the men being their families, the the men and their children, their wives. All the people blessed those who willingly offered to live in the city. Here's the point. When the lot was cast and it was determined that they would be the ones to go and to live in the city, they could have said, no, I'm not going to go live in the city. But willingly, they embraced God's providential appointment in their lives. Now, to be certain that we understand what's happening here, if you recall back in Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 4, Nehemiah 7, 4 says, The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. You get the picture of the city being uninhabited, no houses rebuilt, a lot of open space, but just a lot of work. It's, it's almost like a ghost town in one sense. 
And so they're having to repopulate the city, and now no one is wanting to go in. And the reason is because it was going to be hard work. They knew it was going to take, going to take a lot of hard work to rebuild the houses, to have another restart. So I think there were really two main reasons why people didn't want to live in the city. The first reason had to do with security. In, in one sense, there was a lack of security if they were to move their family and to live in the city of Jerusalem. If any, if any invading army were coming to Israel, they, they would focus on the city where the walls had been built. And so moving their family into this city meant they were giving up some sense of security. It was unlikely that any invading armies would, would hit all of the small houses and communities scattered throughout the region and scattered outside of the city, more than likely those, 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 uh, that army would come straight for the city of Jerusalem. And so first, it was security. It was a security issue. But secondly, living, living in the city of Jerusalem also meant giving up potential prosperity. So they were giving up security and they were giving up prosperity. In order to move into the city, one out of ten... Right. So what would happen is they would leave their family. They would leave their extended family. They'd they'd live in that pocket. They'd leave that extended family. They'd move into the city. They'd leave family land. They'd leave the community that they knew. And, And leaving family land, not having land, not being able to own much land outside of the city. This was a huge deal in an agrarian society. One needed land to have flocks and to have herds and to raise crops And if you lived in the city, how would you have land outside the city? Who would manage the land for you? Who would manage the herds and the flocks and the crops? And so moving into the city was a security issue, and it was also a prosperity issue. So in a very real sense, those who agreed to live in the city, what were they doing? They were laying down their lives. I think what we see in the text is those who committed to live in the city of Jerusalem, they were actually putting God's agenda above their own. They were making a sacrifice and going to live for God and not live for their own well-being here in that sense. They were giving up security and prosperity so that they might follow God. They were laying down their lives to serve the kingdom of God. They were choosing to do what no one else wanted to do. They were leaving all that was advantageous and and pleasurable in their lives. They were moving to a place that wouldn't be pleasant. Possibly it would even be a place of suffering and a a place of hardship. When we think about a modern day challenge that kind of fits into that picture, what first comes to our mind? Missionaries? What else? Those, Those who move? Overseas, perhaps they uproot their entire family, right? And they, they move overseas to a place of, 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 of where they might lack security, where, where their prosperity is certainly not uh, on, on the books and not in their vision, right? They're giving up everything to go and to live and to serve in God's kingdom. But I wonder, are there ways in our daily lives that we can choose, metaphorically speaking, to live in Jerusalem? What are the ways that we can choose to do what no one else wants to do for the sake of serving Christ? Is that a present reality for us? Is that a a possibility for us as the people of God, as the church? I might ask, who, who would we bless in our local congregation for doing what no one else wants to do? 
people who do the behind the scenes work of opening and closing the sanctuary and preparing for the worship service. People who willingly work in the nursery during service. They, they're on this rotation and they, they willingly give of their time and make a sacrifice in order to love on children so that parents could be in here and could, could sit under God's Word and could, could, could fellowship with one another. People who teach on Sunday mornings in Sunday school are, are those who, who work with children on Sunday nights during equipping classes. Those who work diligently behind the scenes to stock the food pantry are, are servants who prepare and clean up after the Lord's Supper. Those who prepare and clean up after church fellowships. The list could go on and on, right? There are many jobs and responsibilities. There are many things that, that we don't necessarily want to do that are needed to be done. I think what we see in this text is we see the people of Nehemiah chapter 11 verse 2 demonstrating a sacrificial lifestyle. They are, they are laying down their lives in order to serve God. You see, these are people who sacrifice their own agendas and lay down their lives to serve the kingdom of God. And in Nehemiah 11.2, we see, I think, a pre-Christ, Christ-likeness that's demonstrated through those who laid down their lives to go and to live in the city of Jerusalem. In fact, in Matthew 16.24, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says to them, if anyone would come after me, listen, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? You see, Jesus supremely demonstrated one who laid down his life as no one else did or no one else could do, what no one else would have wanted to do, Jesus did in laying down his life. He left the glory of heaven and he came down to earth to a place of suffering and a place of hardship to serve his creation, to die for our salvation. He was crucified for our benefit. To serve Christ then is to be part of God's great work. And being part of God's great work means we must lay down our lives for Him. But not only do we see that they were laying down their lives for the kingdom of God, we see that they were faithful to carry out their function. They were faithful to carry out their function. And we see this in verse 3 of chapter 11, all the way through verse 26 of chapter 12. Verse 3 in chapter 11 begins a list of names that goes through 1226. And here's the reality of these. There are two lists. And here's the reality of these lists. These are individuals or families in this list that we don't know very much about, if anything at all. In fact, all we know is a name. We don't know a face. We don't know what their gifts were. We don't know anything about their lives. How many children they had. We don't know their legacy other than they're here recorded in the text and we have their name. In fact, so so these are just ordinary people. They're just ordinary individuals that are on a list of God's covenant people. 
In fact, the only thing that makes them extraordinary at all is the fact that they are on a list as God's covenant people. It's all about God working in their life. And if we would walk through the text, we, we encounter the people of the passage. And as we, we encounter the people of the passage, we see that we're given short phrases that maybe clue us in to just a little bit about their function, about their roles. So we see in verse 6 and we see in verse 8 and verse 14 that these were, there were some among them who were valiant men. They were men of valor. They were great men of courage. They were mighty men of valor. These were the courageous ones who committed to live in the city, to sacrifice themselves, to sacrifice their lives, to guard and to, to protect and to work in the city. Verse 12 tells us of others who were living there in the city. They were priests. The priest and their brothers, in verse 12, they, they did the work of the house of God. These were the ones who were carrying out the work of the temple. They were serving in the temple, maybe on a rotation, but they were faithful in serving in the temple. Verse 16 similarly tells us of the chiefs of Levites who were over the outside of the work of the house of God. In other words, what were they doing? They were faithfully keeping up the temple grounds. Day by day, they were just engaging in their function and in their role in serving the greater community and being part of God's great work. Verse 17 tells us some were praying. There were some who were leading in prayer and leading in praise. They were giving thanks to God in prayer. They were praying for others. They were praying for God's work to be done in the midst of the community. They were interceding on behalf of the community for God, or before God, for God's people. They were praying. They were leading in prayer and giving thanks in prayer. Verse 19 says some were gatekeepers. These were ones who were keeping watch. They were carrying out their function of, of watching and, and guarding the city. Perhaps some of the valiant men. Verse 22 tells us the sons of Asaph were singers. They were singers in the house of God, leading and praising God. In fact, we were told of the type of singing. We, we see this again in 12, chapter 12, verse 24, the type of, of singing that these singers would engage in in the midst of the temple and as the people of God would come to worship. It's called antiphonal or antiphonal singing. In other words, you've got two groups, one standing on one side, one standing on the other, and they would sing before God and they would declare and say, praise the Lord. And then the others would say, praise the Lord. And then they would say, how great is our God and our maker. And then the other one would sing back, how great is our God and our maker. For, for he is sovereign, for he is sovereign, for he is ruler, he is creator, for he is ruler and he is creator. And they would sing back and forth. And this would be a time of praise and, and worshiping God. And so we see that they were carrying out their function. They were engaged in living within the community of faith. And it doesn't speak about any fame that is to be attributed to any of these individuals. We simply find their names and their functions recorded. And all of this, I think we learn from these lists, these names. We learn that, that God is faithful to use seemingly ordinary people who belong to him to carry out his great work. 
There's no fame attributed to these individuals. God's faithfulness, though, is seen through their service. It's seen through their function in carrying out their God-given gifts and their roles. It's important for us to see that people have function in God's great work. And it's important for us to see that each of us have function. We have, we have a part to play in carrying out God's great work. These lists are indicative of individuals who are part of God's covenant community. And similarly, God's covenant community today is the church. And those who are part of the church, listen, are part of God's kingdom. And those who have repented of their sin and believed upon Jesus Christ for salvation, we have been redeemed from condemnation and eternal judgment. We who are part of God's covenant people, the church, we have a function. We have a a role to play in God's great work. What is God's great work? God's great work is the work of the church. God's great work is the work of moving the gospel forward and spreading the gospel and sharing the gospel of Christ with those who are lost, who who don't know Christ, with those who aren't converts of Christ. The, The work of the gospel, the work of the church, is discipling those who are converted to Christ. And so we see that the those in the church have a function. We have a role to play in God's great work. Quickly, I, I want to highlight, as this list indicates, those who are part of God's covenant community, Scripture speaks of another list. The list, it, it's an eternal list. It's a list that Jesus speaks of to his disciples in Luke 10.20. In Luke 10.20, Jesus had sent the 72 out to minister, and as they're returning from being sent out by Jesus to minister in the city, they were rejoicing that the demons had obeyed in Jesus' name and that they had responded and fled in Jesus' name. And Jesus confronts them and says, Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus is referring to the book that's called the Lamb's Book of Life. It's the book that John speaks about in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 20, 11 through 15, he's, he's talking about the, the, the great, or in describing the great white throne judgment. And in verse 12, it says, And I saw the dead, listen, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The question I would ask us to consider this morning, there are many lists that our names could be on. But as a community of faith, as a people of God, the question I want to ask us to consider is, is our name in the book of life? Is it in the eternal list that truly matters is our name recorded in the book of life have we come to christ confessing of our sin repenting before him and trusting in his salvation is your name written in the lamb's book of life you see it's only by repenting of sin and believing in christ's work on the cross that a person's name can be written in the lamb's book of life so we see first this morning god's great work, God's great work in the midst of his people, his great work 
involves ordinary people. And the goal of our fellowship as a church is to embrace Christ's likeness. We embrace Christ's likeness by laying down our lives. We want to recognize Christ's likeness in our midst, and we do that by blessing those who serve willingly. And we want to celebrate Christ's likeness. I think that's the next point we see in verses 27 through 43 of chapter 12. God's great work is worth celebrating. Chapter 12 is the final consummation of Nehemiah's work in rebuilding the community of God's people. And what began in chapter 2 is finished and dedicated to the Lord in chapter 12. And notice that these verses, verse 27 and verse 43, are bracketed by something called joy. There was joy in their life. Verse 27 says, They came to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication of the wall with gladness or with joy, with thanksgiving and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And in verse 43, joy is mentioned five times. Look at what it says in chapter 12, verse 43. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. You know what that tells me? There was this great celebration, this great rejoicing, this great praising God for His faithfulness and what He had done in in bringing to pass the rebuilding of the wall and reestablishing the community. And this was something, God's great work, this was something that His people were rejoicing and praising Him over. In chapter 2, verse 13, Nehemiah began his inspection of the wall at a place called the Valley Gate. It was nighttime. He went out under the guise of night, and as he he goes out, he begins inspecting and looking at the wall, and I think it's fitting that Nehemiah begins their choir processional to the temple by starting at the same place where it all begins. Verse 31 of chapter 12 indicates that it was there at the valley gate. It doesn't say it in the text, but that's what he's describing. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs and gave thanks. One went to the south wall to the dung gate. In order to go to the south wall to the dung gate, you have to enter upon the valley gate. You have to, so they climb up on the wall, and the two choirs split, as we said earlier, and they begin walking in a choir processional, singing and praising the Lord. And as the two choirs circled the city, playing instruments, rejoicing in God's provision and rejoicing in God's faithfulness, they arrive at the temple. And when they arrive at the temple, they come to a time of great sacrifices where they're offering sacrifices, rejoicing in God, and they are worshiping God as they are singing with great joy. I don't want you to miss what verse 43 says. Verse 43 says that God had made them rejoice with great joy. Here's the point. God supplies their joy as they worship and follow him. Believer, I want you to hear me. You too can discover that God gives you great joy as you worship and follow him. Notice what they did in verse 30. In verse 30 of chapter 12, it says, And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. 
And that tells me they were very intentional to prepare themselves to worship God. I want you to know, church, as we Christians, as we come together to worship God, we too must be very intentional to prepare ourselves to worship the Lord. We must come with a longing in our hearts to experience and to worship God. We must come laying down our lives, saying, God, what do you want to do in me and through me? How do you want to use me? How do you want to use us as a church to reach the nations with the gospel, to reach this city with the gospel? I want you to know that when we're faithful to live for him and, and faithfully fulfill our part in his great work of building the church, we too will discover joy unending. The third point I want to close with this morning is simply this. God's great work requires all his people to participate. God's great work requires all his people to participate. We see this in verses 44 through forty. Seven. I wasn't sure if requires was the right word choice here, but after thinking about it and considering different maybe adjectives to describe what God calls us to, I believe requires is the right word. James himself says faith without works is dead in James two fourteen through 22. Even the demons believe and shudder, but are you willing to recognize you foolish fellow that faith without works is dead? The point is, one who claims to have faith in Christ will, by his or her new nature, prove their faith through their works. I'm not saying that we work for our salvation. Instead, what I'm saying is we participate in God's work because of our salvation and the way that the, the life of Christ and the, transform, the Holy Spirit of Christ transforms our lives. So verse 44, it says, For Judah rejoiced over the priests and Levites who ministered. What was the evidence of their rejoicing in the great work? I think we see the evidence in verse 47. It says, All Israel, look in verse 47, All Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers. Then they set apart that which was for the Levites and then for the the sons of Aaron. It was the contributions that were being given. This was the the fruit of their faith, right? They were coming, bringing their contributions before the Lord. These were the first fruits in the tithes which filled the storerooms that men were appointed to oversee in verse 44. So here's the thing. God's great work is building the church. How does God build the church? He builds the church. As in Matthew 16, 18, when he tells Peter, you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You see, the church is built through carrying out the Great Commission because in Matthew 28, he tells his disciples, go therefore into all the nations, baptizing them and teaching them, or go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, or behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, to carry out the Great Commission is to engage in God's great work of building the church. And God's great work today is building the church. 
for the gates of hell will not prevail against God's church. Building the church looks like God's people being faithful to proclaim God's word. It looks like we're faithful to share the gospel with those in our in our lives that God brings into our lives. It it looks like we're faithful to live out the gospel and demonstrate that in the lives of others. It looks like we're faithful to serve others. When we evangelize others with the gospel, we are carrying out the Great Commission. Listen, this is what happens when ordinary people serving an extraordinary God commit to living for Him. We will build the church by God's power and by God's glory, or for God's glory. When we disciple converts by teaching them the Word of God, we are, we are engaging in the work of the Great Commission. When we serve one another and love one another and sacrifice for one another, it's seen when we, when we teach Sunday morning Bible study or Sunday school. It's seen when we hold one another accountable and pray for one another. It's seen when we give our money for the advancement of God's kingdom and we, we give our time for the advancement of God's kingdom. You see, when we're living in this way, we too will experience the joy of Christ. Let me ask you this morning, are you living in the joy of Christ? Are you experiencing the joy of Christ in your life? I want to exhort us this morning, let's let's go out of this place today knowing and, and living in the joy of Christ. Let's labor together in God's great work. Let us together work to build the church. Let us be faithful in serving as the Lord has called us to, employing our gifts, laying down our lives to serve the kingdom of God. I want to exhort you this morning, church. Let us, let us together unify and, and do this great work, be engaged in this great work that God is calling us to. Let me pray for us. Father, as we come before you this morning, Lord, we come desiring to be used by you. Desiring, Father, that you would use us in this great work of building the church. We thank you, Lord, that we're able to see your faithfulness in the lives of your people Israel and how you restored their community of faith. And now, God, we're asking that you would use us as a body of believers to build the church. Use us, God, to to proclaim the message of the gospel, to share the hope of salvation, Lord. Use us to make disciples. Use us, Father, to engage in the work of service. And, Lord, fill us with your joy. God, teach us to find great delight and great comfort and great joy and just being ordinary people who are serving you faithfully. And Lord, we'll give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor for it. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?